This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome everybody to another episode of Cherry Picking here on Up the Cherries in All Departments. It's episode 38 and um, the actual thumbnail for episode 37 is a little bit redundant already. Um, Seeing as what's happened, we'll come to that in a bit. But of course, I have my main man next to me. Um, Manny, how you doing, Manny? All good, Craig. All good. Always look forward to a little cherry picking during the midweek. Um, sort of a nice uh, way to um, wind down from the uh, Champions League action, although Europe- European football continues. And um, yeah, always um, looking forward to these sessions. And we do have a lot about which to speak. And I really do love how, you know, by being a part of all of this, there's so much um, of a connectivity between our two clubs and what's going on these days. Yep, there certainly is. And it's not just Basque managers. Um, there's a lot, lot more, of course. So, well, let's get stuck into this because, of course, we have Newcastle United and the return of the Chosen One, God, Sir Eddie Howe, whatever, you know, you want to praise him with. Um However, of course, um, you had an experience last weekend with Eddie that wasn't really satisfactory for your club, Arsenal. No, it wasn't. And it's one of those um, games where you just have to take your hat off and say that um, Newcastle um, deserved their win because they came out with a plan and obviously they um, performed it to the letter. Um we're obviously going to talk a great deal about the the whole VAR situation. Definitely everything sort of ties in. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, all I will say to Arteta is, you know, you ought to know better as a manager and you will be effectively a marked man in lieu of some of the things that you've said. And you pretty much um, put a target on your head. Yep. No, fair enough. And to be fair, I did make a video... Um, I'm trying to think when it was. It's been a crazy week. Uh, Midweek about VAR. And um, 
of course, we had our own VAR call against Burnley. We haven't spoken since then because, of course, work and everything is building up and, you know, everybody gets so busy. Um, but, of course, there was that situation against Burnley where Burnley scored an equaliser to make it 2-0. Now, of course, we won the game 2-1, so it didn't count, um, as everybody will know. But seven minutes to make a VAR decision? Um, what is what is going wrong with this setup? You know, I'm having so many discussions on the whole VAR issue with some mates of mine, whether on other YouTube platforms or um, on social media. And I have a theory, call it a conspiracy theory or what have you, that um, the Premier League bosses actually enjoy the chaos and the controversy that's taking place because they know that it's going to lead to a lot more exposure and a lot more um, focus on the league. It'll be that much more of a money spinner. You know what they say, Craig, drama often sells. Um, yeah. And that's probably one reason why the technology that was used during the World Cup in Qatar was really ensured that there wouldn't be too much controversy with regard to certain calls. Why couldn't that be used in the Premier League with all the money that's flown in um, from whatever sources um, you have? And the answer is simple. There are a bunch of penny pinches. Now, um, for some context, I'd like you to, um, if you could describe what happened um, with the Burnley equaliser and why it was disallowed um, briefly. I mean, maybe I can, you know, fill myself in because sadly I don't get to see that match. But I will talk as well about the Newcastle one. It was a very, very close call on offside. So a well-taken goal, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, it was just that slender... It was effectively like a toenail offside. We're very, very lucky because, let's be fair, if that counts, that's Iriola's job gone. And personally... I think you, we're we're in the situation now where you can't judge Iriola on man's well. I say that, but then again, I feel that we will discuss Iriola and judge him on that game. Um, but I did say before the game that you can't judge him on Man City. You can't sack him on that Man City game. That Burnley game, you can do, and he's not out the woods yet by all means. He's still a man very much in danger. But, you know, I one of the points that I made was, why don't, you know, everybody's got iPads nowadays. Why isn't there an iPad at the side of the pitch where the referee can do their own fast-forwarding and rewinding? They know how to use VHS recorders, let's be fair. Um, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to learn, know that but then they could rewind it, fast forward it, make their own decision. Now, if they get that decision wrong, it is just on them. And therefore, you know, that human element comes into it. Whereas at the moment, because of computers and things like that, they have to get it right all the time, don't you feel? Absolutely. I mean, you know, technology pretty much um, says it. And um, you're going to see a lot more uh, controversial calls um, like that, the more 
um, the tighter they become. But um, at the end of the day, as long as everyone has um, faith in the fact that the technology is being used properly and according to the rules, um, with or without maybe a little um, discretion or what have you, you know, um, the, the fans can at least be satisfied and sort of accept it. What I find a little bit ironic, um, in a way, Craig, is that um, several managers, and I'm reminded here of um, what uh, Mauricio Pochettino quite brilliantly said mm-hmm. in the aftermath of the uh, um, of Chelsea's uh, shock win at um, uh, Tottenham Hotspur, where he went back, of course, to his old um, stomping ground and ended up stomping all over his... Um, former employers, but um, he will be honest enough to know that in as much as they um, deserve credit for taking their opportunities, um, Spurs were second best for a large majority of that entire game. And he also said that managers can't hope to have the penny and the bun in saying that we should have um, VAR to try and, um, you know, eliminate whatever controversies there are because it can help managers at times. And bear in mind that the reason why, yeah, I mean, the reason why we actually have VAR is to eliminate controversy. It's just unfortunate that the um, controversy seems to be increasing. But that has nothing to do with the technology and more to do with how the technology is being applied or how it's not being applied in certain cases. Because we've seen in many cases as well the uh, line technology to determine an offside uh, that um, in some matches hasn't been used. And we've been the beneficiary of an offside decision against uh, Manchester United when um, Garnacho scored what could have been um, a brilliant winner at the Emirates Stadium against us, only to be determined to be marginally, only for there, to, there to be a marginal offside. And we, of course, went on to win 3-1 thanks to a deflected goal from Declan Rice and Gabriel Jesus, you know, wrapping things up with a ribbon. And, um, you know, but Pochettino pretty much said that managers can't have the penny and the bun by saying that we should have VAR. It is a good thing. And then complain about it when the decision goes against you. And if you saw that video, he rather cheekily said, I'm not talking about Arteta. eh?" (laughs) And uh, a little um, reference there to the fact that, of course, they um, shared a two-all draw at Stamford Bridge. And, of course, Pochettino and Arteta were teammates at uh, Paris Saint-Germain when Pochettino was very much an established professional and Arteta was a youngster. Pochettino, of course lest we forget, is a former Argentina international. And he was um, the guy who very nearly scored an equaliser against us in the 2002 World Cup in uh, Sapporo, only for David Seaman to say, not tonight, mate. And uh, But without digressing, you can't complain about it. You've got to accept that um, VAR should be here to stay. And if used correctly, it will um, eliminate all controversies. But the problem is, I do believe that... um, the Premier League bosses love the drama. They love the controversy. They love the headlines that, that are being generated. If you have a situation where there is no controversy, where everything works, you know, like clockwork, all hunky-dory, and everyone's happy, you know, you're not going to get too many of these headlines. And uh, the more the he- he- headlines that are coming in, the more the Premier League bosses rub- are rubbing their hands with glee. And the only problem is that a lot of um, fans and teams uh, um, end up getting mugged off in the process. But... Um, there can be no, as long as the um, technology is applied correctly, there can be no complaints about it. And if it was a very marginal decision, let's not forget the marginal offsides are still offsides. And um, would you rather have a situation where we go back to the way things were, where goals that were blatantly offside are not disallowed? 
No, I think we have to go along, go along this path and just uh, make sure that slowly but surely we eliminate all of this nonsense and make it crystal clear that the rules have got to be applied to the letter. Uh, and in some mitigating circumstances, um, discretion can be applied. And speaking of mitigating circumstances, I don't know if you're a big fan of Rugby Union, mate, but um, I want to shout out a good friend of mine, Hanno Trollip, from, and his channel, The Coach's Corner, because he and I were doing some good work for the recent Rugby World Cup. And of course, um, I had the honor of commentating on the final, and uh, it was uh, a final to remember. Absolutely heartbreaking for New Zealand, and that game hinged on two um, shoulder-barging offenses by both opposing captains. Uh, the All Blacks captain, Sam Kane, uh, was, um, you know, sin-binned at first, and then it was upgraded to a red card. And so, obviously, you can see that he was distraught at the very end and um, really in no mood to you know, um, to speak to anyone. And uh, Sia Khaleesi, the South African captain, had a similar offence. But because of a marginal um, sort of circumstance where he turned his head away and didn't go head on into the um, opposing player's shoulder, he escaped getting a red card and came back onto the field. So it was a case of um, circumstances being applied in certain cases when, you know, foul play is... Um, you know, considered. And obviously um, in rugby, you know, they send you to the sin bin for 10 minutes. And if they deem that you are indeed guilty of dangerous play, you're off for the rest of the match. I'm not sure that that could necessarily be applied in football, where you can send a player off temporarily for about three or five minutes to, you know, further analyze that and then decide if he goes off the field. I mean, that's going to be um, something that, that that's going to open a different can of worms. But there are mitigating circumstances. That's what I'm saying. And if there are mitigating circumstances in certain cases and they can be applied, then, you know, um, that is something that the referees are going to have to agree on. And all of this has to be discussed before the season starts. So it's the referees and the officials that are being so incompetent about it. And all I can say is that um, whether we are beneficiaries or victims of VAR decisions, we have to take the rough with the smooth and just, you know, move on and trust that over the course of time, everything will work out well in the end. So um, I think Iriola will probably feel as though he is a rather lucky bloke with that VAR call. But hopefully this can give him a chance to try to, you know, get some breathing space and continue to um, help the team evolve a little bit. Just uh, thinking back and, you know, staying on the subject of VAR at the moment. You know, and going back to the 90s, you know, when you had referees like Jeff Winter, Mark Halsey, uh, Graham Pohl, Paul Durkin, Uriah Rennie, these referees were the top, top referees in the game. And it feels now that the referees, um, you know, Michael Oliver was in charge of the game between Chelsea and Spurs the other day. And it feels like that the referees are being overruled by somebody else so the quality of the refereeing decisions is gone down in the premier league but gone up in other leagues where they don't have var like the championship whereas you know back in the 90s you know i can remember you know being down in all the lower reaches of the football league some of the referees that come up against were atrocious hmm. with some very very poor referees so is it that these referees now in the Premier League are relying too heavily on VAR or are they frightened to make their own calls or decisions? Because personally, I think it takes that human element of error out of it, which 
I would, you know, I'd appreciate, you know, if a referee comes out and says, I've got it wrong. I've got it wrong. You know, I've made a mistake, you know, because you'd expect the Premier League referees to be the top of their game. You know, what we have now is computers making the decision or people with computers making the decisions, drawing lines on TV screens and still making mistakes despite that. Because I feel for Gary O'Neill and the amount of bad decisions he's come up against. Um, you know, he's had the one against um, Newcastle. He's had one against Sheffield United, one against Manchester United at the start of the season. And a Wolves fan uh, that I know quite well has also told me that there was one against Luton. Um, You know, I don't know much about that one, but surely it's, you know, if it was a human element of mistake, I'm sure Gary O'Neill could appreciate it more and understand it more. But then again, I feel that, you know, the likes of Uriah Rennie and Jeff Winter and Mark Housey wouldn't make these mistakes because they wouldn't have that to rely back on. I'm going to tell you something right now. Um, No referee is perfect. All those referees you mentioned, I mean, yes, they started in the 90s and they also went on to referee in the uh, 2000s. Some of them went, um, I don't know if they went um, longer than that, but... um, you know, every single referee over the course of his career or her career um, has made a mistake or two. Yeah. And um, I'm not too sure I can necessarily agree because, um, look, there's no um, – whether or not a mistake is made without VAR or VAR, it's still a mistake. And, you know, it's sort of like a distinction without a difference, really. And if you have situations where – you know, without VAR, officials um, come out come out and say they got it absolutely wrong and they're really sorry about it. You know, that may sound nice um, in, a, in a way, but it really is of no real um, consolation at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But um, again, in a perfect world, VAR would be perfectly applied and everyone w- would respect the, um, you, um, the, uh, the logic behind the decisions that have been taken and um, we could all move on. And that sort of segues into the um, decision which um, uh, was given against Arsenal in favour of Newcastle. With um, the, the issue here was that um, it was a Newcastle attack, and the ball was sort of um, um, sort of sort of rolling out towards the goal line on the left side. Former gunner Joe Willock, who came on as a substitute barely minutes ago, was sprinting towards that ball and was able to uh, prevent that from going completely over the line. Now, the rule, of course, and the technology that was used in the World Cup quite brilliantly to award Japan a goal because the ball was deemed to have not fully crossed the line. Um, Had that been used over here, and I think it might have been used, um, it would have been fine. And Willock was deemed to have done more than enough to keep the ball in play. And um, he ended up delivering that cross, which um, uh, the on-loan Brentford goalkeeper David Ryan um, disgustingly um, flapped at. And... um, I believe uh, there was a huge um, fracas um, at the goal mouth where Gabriel Magalhaes had a couple of hands placed on him by his compatriot Joe Linton. And uh, there might have been talk about an offside, perhaps, before um, Anthony Gordon um, smashed that into the net. There's an article from BBC Sport over here. I don't know if I would necessarily be able to share it, but I will read this uh, courtesy of Simon Stone. 
saying that the decision to award Newcastle's winning goal against Arsenal was absolutely correct, according to the key match incidents panel of the Premier League. This panel has five people, including three former players and slash or coaches, and they decided that there was insufficient evidence to overrule the on-field decision to award Anthony Gordon's goal. Of course, this is an example of how you have to read the fine print saying there is insufficient evidence to overrule it. But the panel also ruled that Kai Havertz should have been sent off for that dreadful tackle on Sean Longstaff, and Bruno Guimarães should also have been shown a red card for smacking um, Jorginho behind the head. And um, the panel also includes one representative each from the Premier League and the PGMOL. They review major incidents to assess whether the eventual rulings, including um, VAR checks, were in fact correct. And while Arteta described that decision as embarrassing and a disgrace, and Arsenal, of course, um, shamefully backed his comments, um, which led Gary Neville to call that dangerous. And... um, the FA has now written to the club and Arteta to seek their observations about his comments. And Lord only knows what's going to happen if um, Arteta ends up getting a severe reprimand in the form of a touchline ban. Um, so be it. There were three areas, of course, around the goal. Um, every single one of them came back in Newcastle's favour. There was no offside. There, um, Willock um, kept the ball in play. And there was no foul on Magalhaes by Joe Linton. I think he kept his hands on... Um, Gabriel's back, but he didn't exactly push. Uh, didn't exactly push him, and they decided by a majority of four-one that it was the right. It was correct that the Newcastle goal stood because there wasn't enough evidence to overrule the on-pitch decisions. Now it was a four-one split, so whoever voted um, that um, the Newcastle goal shouldn't have been awarded um, um, should be um, awarded for his bravery. The panel also noting that Gabriel had gone to play the ball before Joe Linton touched him, so no foul was, in fact, uh, committed. But, um, again, there were other decisions, of course, and um, that's sort of the way it is. So it's good that they now have this panel to check a lot of these decisions. And in retrospect, if they can do uh, this for some of the uh, decisions, including the Burnley equaliser that was um, chalked off in your favour, then that would be good. Um, As long as they're taking attempts to make sure that um, errors are effectively stamped out of the game, that's fine. And, of course, with the Cricket World Cup ongoing, um, the way that they're using the technology to determine whether an umpiring decision is correct or wrong is done in such a way that the umpires don't lose any respect. So if that can happen in cricket perfectly, perfectly, why not in football? And I think it's also got to do with the fact that certain referees um, are quite um, egotistical and sometimes they feel um, as though their words should never be questioned. And um, I can understand how Arsenal would feel about Willock um, keeping the ball in play because United, of course, were dudded by one decision where Rashford was deemed to have um, uh, uh, taken the ball out of play and not brought it back, although angles did show that uh, there was some part of the ball on the line. And uh, again, if the technology had been used then, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Had it been used then, then nobody would complain about the decision. And um, there was also another instance um, in the Aston Villa Crystal Palace game at Villa Park where the referee made the uh, correct decision to penalise Omar Richards for a foul on Ollie Watkins and award a penalty because he got Watkins first before getting the ball. So um, even after taking a look at it, he awarded the penalty and then VAR called him. But even after taking a look at VAR, he stuck to his decision. So there are some instances where sometimes the uh, referees um, uh, are able to, you know, take a look at everything and then have the final say. They can take a look at it and decide if the VAR, VAR, you know, um, sort of backs them up or not. 
And as long as it's used properly, there should be no complaints. But again, we're seeing so many issues of, you know, incompetence from the officials involved, um, the lack of preparation, the lack of any due diligence. And I think it's music to the ears of the Premier League bosses, Craig, because they love the controversy. Yeah. And as long as it continues this way, they're happy, even if it means mugging off fans and clubs who may be docked points through hardly any fault of their own. But um, having said that, um, you know, I take the view that uh, when it comes to any sport, you've got to accept that uh, refereeing um, decisions are part and parcel of the game. You take the rough with the smooth. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I would obviously obviously feel gutted, but you wouldn't necessarily see me going um, ahead and saying that, that that refereeing decision was what cost us the game. Uh, we lost the 2001 FA Cup final to Liverpool despite, you know, um, Liverpool committing so many um, uh, fouls and handballs that weren't penalised. And then Michael Owen scored that double to break our hearts and break our streak of never losing to Liverpool in the Cup final. But, you know, we there were some of us who were absolutely um, hopping mad, quite livid and heartbroken. But, you know, I'm reminded of a quote. Don't get bitter, get better. And next season we won the double. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, that's what I love about this show is because, um, you know, there was me. I was having a good rant and rave and you brought it all back down to, <laughs> to be honest, Maddy. So, no, it's very, very good. Um, very valid points you've made there. And, uh, yeah, maybe I preempted. Um, it was like, no, no, VAR should be scrapped. Um, maybe it shouldn't be. No. Mate, listen, to, for what it's worth, you're not the only one who thinks it should be scrapped. Several people do. All I'm saying is, you know, sometimes we just need to keep things in perspective. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, let's look at um, Sir Eddie Howe's team. And of course, they're coming up against Bournemouth this weekend. Um, and of course, we got that win against Burnley. Great. But... We was beaten 6-1 against Manchester City. Now, my theory, and, and I've got a method of thinking about Newcastle actually so far this season. I've seen them a couple of times. And I actually think they look better than they did last season. They look like they're making progress. However, firstly, I think the Champions League games, you know, are taking their toll on that squad. But secondly... I think the quality of the rest of the league has improved. So you've got Liverpool who have improved. You've got Spurs who have improved. Arsenal and Man City have improved further on where they were last season. And I think that's really where Newcastle are at the moment. You know, that they shouldn't be disheartened if they don't match what they did last season. That's how I see it, because it's still a quality side. But um, do you think this Newcastle side, considering the result last weekend, are more dangerous this year? Or do you think they were more dangerous last year? Because we got two draws against them last year under Gary. Oh, yeah. Those were the days, my friend. You thought yeah. they'd never end. And sadly, they did. And... Yeah. Um, I know the Carpenters are going to, you know, um, cheese, um, chide me for that, but whatever. But um, one of the things which um, I talk about with regard to Newcastle, and I want to shout out Carl um, Thackeray, who also has his own um, channel as well. We were doing a, yeah. pro a preview together for the Newcastle um, Arsenal game, and um, 
I was sort of talking about how in as much as Callum uh, Wilson is still um, a quality um, striker, yeah, and um, his channel is, of course, 100% mags. Check it out on YouTube if you can. And, um, of course, congratulations to Callum Wilson for earning a recall to the England squad um, as announced today by Gareth Southgate. When you compare Wilson to Alexander Isak, um, interestingly, they almost they almost have pretty similar um, stats when it comes to goals scored. But Isak actually provides um, some that sort of an X factor, which I'm not sure that Wilson has. And we saw that when Newcastle creamed Unai Emery's team, Unai Emery's much improved team, it must be said, on the first um, uh, game week of the Premier League. And with their... Um, 4-3-3 formation, which um, Howe likes to use. He's able to get the benefit of that three-man midfield with Sean Longstaff, Bruno Guimaraes, Joe, Joe Linton, Guimaraes rather, then Joe Linton and Joe Willock coming on. And um, um, sad for Jacob Murphy and his um, shoulder injury. I mean, I saw it, saw it get aggravated against Arsenal and that looked painful. Um, also some young talent in the form of uh, Tino Livramento and Lewis Hall. And... Um, Jamal Lascelles has certainly um, stepped stepped up brilliantly in the absence of Sven Botman, who's out injured. Uh, Nick Pope is still uh, proving to be a fine goalkeeper, and why he hasn't been picked um, for the England squad of late, I have absolutely no idea. I yeah, would like to see, of course, I would like to see, um, of course, um, once the qualifiers are over and done with, there will be room for more and more changes as and when the season progresses. In mm-hmm. which case, um, as much as I you know, feel for former Cherry Aaron Ramsdale. You have to say that his lack of football at Arsenal will eventually cost him like it did Joe Hart. But back to Newcastle, um, with their 4-3-3 formation, they were able to nullify our own 4-3-3. Our midfield um, with uh, Kai Havertz and um, Jorginho and Declan Rice I mean, Rice was outstanding, but Jorginho and Havertz simply weren't um, able to step up. Havertz in particular was completely anonymous. And as was mentioned, he should have been sent off for that um, disgraceful tackle. Ironically, of course, um, this was almost the same 11 that played Sevilla in midweek and won. The difference um, being, of course, with Eddie Nketiah injured, we started Leandro Trossard on Wednesday. But Nketiah started um, that uh, game. On Saturday, and it was he—he it was another inept, um, innocuous, anonymous performance from him. And you have to think that um, injuries permitting, um, I think the same eleven that started from uh, started against us will probably be the, probably be the same eleven that gets to start um, against um, your lot, Bournemouth. And um, that three-man midfield of Longstaff, Gimarash, and Joe Linton will have to be. Um, you're going to have to watch out for them because they're obviously going to try to keep the play um, ticking and uh, make sure that Almiron, Gordon and Wilson get some good service. Almiron in particular, I refer to him as 24 karat magic because of the 24 on his um, jersey. He has looked really sharp this season. It's just as well that um, Isak is out injured because he also lends a great deal of um, pace and incisiveness. But Wilson is a more than capable replacement. Um, I don't know if um, I don't. I think I think Gordon. I don't know if Gordon's going to be fit. The absence of Sandro Tonali, of course, who has been banned for the rest of the season due to his um, uh, betting um, scandal, is a loss for them because ever since coming in, he's slotted into that midfield like 
you know, a hand into a glove. And um, he's really produced some good stuff, especially in the Champions League against PSG. He's been one of their better players. And it is no coincidence that with his absence, uh, the team has declined a little bit in the Champions League. Now they're finding out that um, it's not all um, uh, roses in the in the garden. But uh, this 4-3-3 formation will certainly... Um, look to try and um, build from the back. And, of course, I think Dan Byrne might be a, a, a doubt, of course, because he got injured as well against um, Arsenal with a, a hamstring problem. So it could either be Lewis Hall or Paul Dummett who steps into the breach, or it could be Kieran Trippier who moves across to play at left back, which I despise. I think if you've got a – if you don't have a left foot, you shouldn't – you have no business being a left back, but that's just me. Sorry, Dennis Irwin, but that's my opinion. And uh, if Trippier moves to the left um, back, back position, uh, Livermento then comes in. So how does have some options and how Eddie um, works with those options will be uh, key. And so Iriola will definitely have his work cut out to try and uh, nullify the threat that his team, that this team will pose. But um, with burn being out, you could say burnt out. Um, mm -hmm. How will certainly keep Iriola guessing. And so Iriola is just going to have to find a way to try to make his players and his system work. And personally, I think, you know, this is this might be the best time to play Newcastle because of the amount of injuries that they've got. However. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And I'm going to go on to our game against Manchester City. And, of course, Iriola, I said at the start of this show... He was never going to get judged from me on that Manchester City game. You know, we didn't expect to go up to the Etihad and win. You know, there was no no way in a million years. However, I think you have to because our defensive work, you know, for the first three goals, forget about forget about Doku and how good he was. And he was good. He's a talent. But it seemed like there was no man marking. It seemed like they lost their players. Um, and defensively, we can't be doing that. You know, playing too deep, it's never worked for us. And do you see that, do you feel that Iriola should be judged on that 6-1 defeat? Considering, let's be fair, Scott Parker, you know, did a lot better. Okay, yeah, he got 4-0 defeat. But, you know, I think it was a better performance. If I compare the two, 
it was a better performance that Scott Parker delivered last season. That's saying something. 9-0 to, against Liverpool. That says it all. And that's partly why Scott um, Parker was um, given the boot. Of course, we all know that it was um, the aftermath of that that really saw him given the boot. And um, I've actually got the um, uh, uh, City-Bournemouth game up right now. And um, I knew that it was going to be a City win, but it really made me sad to hear about the um, um, the result in that case. And... Um, Interestingly, City um, started with a 3-4-2-1 and uh, Bournemouth um, went with a back five. And, you know, you had Lloyd Kelly and uh, Kirk Hezm on the left, Zabani in the middle, and Chris Mepham and Max Ahrens on the right. Uh, Billing, of course, um, fresh from that uh, goal, top billing against uh, Burnley. Then Tavernier, Christie and uh, Scott. Scott getting injured obviously hasn't helped. And, um, you know, I wonder if, um, I think what seems to be Ariola's problem is that he does have a, a good supply of defenders, but as far as the midfield is concerned, I'm not too sure if he can find the uh, uh, correct um, combination to really um, work with. It seems that every time he tries to shuffle the midfield, it just doesn't seem to work. And then, of course, um, you know, he had... Uh, uh, Brooks and Rothwell on the bench along with Atara and uh, Sinistera. Sinistera and Cloyvert, of course, did come on late in the game and Rothwell came on for Scott um, with his um, injury. But um, again, it's a case of, I just think the player, some of the players might have been a little bit overawed and maybe um, Iriola's attempt to be a little bit too defensive sort of backfired. And one of the things about the 5-4-1 formation, Craig, is that Burnley have been, of course, used that um, more often than not. And they've still um, seen some goals go past them. The big danger about playing five at the back and four in the midfield is that it does tend to get a little bit, um, I would say, congested at times. You often think that, um, I mean, if you if I, if I were a defender in that um, formation, I'd often think that someone else can, you know, pick up the slack when it comes to marking someone or going for a tackle of some sort. And maybe Iriola would have been better you know, um, going with a flat back four, but just trying to, you know, pack the midfield a little bit and try and um, have a few options, um, have a couple of options up front. Um, obviously, Doku um, terrorized them, and it's um, good to see that City have uncovered um, another new talent, and they seem to also be, um, they, they seem to have recovered, of course, from that little blip they had, including, including losing to Arsan, of course, um, Gary O'Neill's Wolves. Um, interestingly, Gary O'Neill's Wolves um, played the 3-4-3 uh, four, three, four, against um, City and they were able to nullify them. But crucially, of course, Guardiola wasn't in on the sidelines for that game. So maybe uh, City were weakened. I don't know. But um, it's a question of um, Iriola saying that they were compact for the most part uh, for about half an hour. And then uh, once um, City scored everything just started flowing in. And of course, some Doku scored first, followed by Silva, then Akanji, three goals in the space of about seven to eight minutes. And I think it was pretty much a game over then. In the second half, it was more of the same, um, including um, ex-Cherry Nathan Aki also um, yeah. adding some gloves to the scoreline with an 88th minute goal. Uh, Sinistera took his goal very well. I would say that this game was what a lot of people would call 
um, uh, a free hit, as it were. And Alex Scott's injury has also not helped. And uh, Tyler Adams is still out of commission for the most part. Um, and uh, I think there, uh, there is something over here on the BBC Sport um, webpage where people have said, um, yeah, Mark Michener for BBC Sports saying that um, finding the right midfield, of course, will have to be vital. And so Iriola has these um, fine midfielders. He sees them every day in training. But um, he seems to be chopping and changing the midfield a little bit too often if um, uh, just because results haven't gone very well. And uh, when you have a, have a system where the midfield gets chopped and changed, it's bad enough if you, ch if you chop and change the defense. Mm -hmm. If you chop and change the midfield, you know you're asking for trouble because games are often won in the midfield. And um, there is another crumb of comfort, though, which I haven't mentioned. Uh, Gimaraj for Newcastle will be suspended because he deservedly got um, booked in that game against Arsenal, and he will miss this one. But um, they can replace Gimaraj with um, Joe Willock, who, of course, um, scored in the League Cup against Manchester United and looked um, quite good against, really good against um, his former club. Was okay in the Champions League, although obviously Dortmund um, had more motivation and ended up winning. But um, Eddie Howe pretty much seems to be set, and as long as he can get um, Willock to, make, to uh, continue where he left off, then... Um, All's well that ends well, but uh, Bournemouth do have some problems. And it will be um, normally, of course, whenever we would um, talk about these upcoming games, Craig, we'd sort of try and figure out what would be the lineup. And yet, um, I just don't know if we can even pick a lineup right now because I don't even know what formation no. Iriola would try to use. It's good in the way that he was trying to be, um, you know, defensive, but um, now he knows that having five at the back. Um, it was used well by um, Gary O'Neill, but um, this time around, I think, um, you know, maybe the defence just got a little bit too, um, you know, complacent, a little bit um, careless, and, you know, City just um, punished them. Uh, so those mistakes can't be made against Newcastle with Wilson and Gordon in good form and Almiron also, uh, you know, lighting everything up. But um, without Gimaraish, um, Newcastle won't really have that um, enforcer. So it's going to be up to uh, you now to try and uh, take advantage of that and try and uh, see if you can't um, overpower the Newcastle midfield. I think, you know, and one thing that really annoyed me about this Man City game was, you know, if we conceded in, you know, the third minute, fair enough. But if we had gone for it like Gary O'Neill did, in that 3-4-3 formation, I think we would have had a lot more success being more direct, not passing around, you know, not trying to control the game against a side that can control the game a lot better than we can. That's the biggest problem, is that they are the experts. And, of course, he tried to do that against Arsenal as well. He's not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. Now, could he be judged on this on this game? I'm not really sure. But Sheffield United, there's two parts of me now thinking, and we'll go on to what also has happened as well and tie this in. But there, if we was to be beaten by Newcastle, 
if we made the decision before the Sheffield United game, that gives the new manager that fresh impetus to in, put on to his team, you know, how to get the best possible result against that team. And let's be honest, that is a six-pointer, Sheffield United, considering they've got their first win now. On the spin side, should he be given that game, you know, to prove he's turned the corner? And if he loses it, then I'm sorry, he can't stay if he loses that game. The thing also, though, that's thrown a little bit of a curveball is Richard Hughes um, has, well, appears to be leaving the club on his own accord. Now, who knows what this is? Working your notice. Now, you could be dismissed from a company, any company, and you could be made to work your notice or be put on gardener leave. And that effectively is like working your notice. So that may be the case. Not saying it is, not saying it isn't. But at the same time, you know, if that decision has been made by Bill Foley himself and not Richard Hughes, that kind of says that Bill Foley doesn't blame Iriola because Richard Hughes, believe it or not, they reckon had quite an impact in Gary O'Neill being dismissed. Maybe it's not actually Bill Foley turning around saying, you're the problem, not the problem, Iriola. Maybe you're, you know, you're not the right man for the job, but the man that put you there is the man who is being pushed out the door. It's an interesting one. What's your verdict on that? And do you feel that, you know, considering that situation, do you think that Iriola needs to now be given more time because Bill Foley might have blamed Richard Hughes? Or do you feel, get beat by Newcastle, get beat by Sheffield United, he's got to go? Well, let's make one thing crystal clear about Sheffield United. They were very fortunate, of course, to have um, beaten um, Wolves. And, um, you know, Gary O'Neill was absolutely seething with that. But um, all of the issues that um, plagued them when they lost to Newcastle 8-0 and 5-0 to Arsenal, they're they're still remaining. And um, this fortuitous win, of course, won't really change that. I know, of course, that you lot beat um, Burnley by the same scoreline, 2-1. And you also had your um, uh, share of fortune, too. But um, Bournemouth and Sheffield United, um, Craig, are chalk and cheese because... um, In as much as Bournemouth haven't exactly played to their potential this season, I do see um, a team in them. With Sheffield United, you know, they literally look lambs to the slaughter almost every time they come out and play. They have shown some really good spirit, I will accept, in certain games, including against Tottenham, where they were very, very unlucky to have lost that um, in the last uh, few minutes of the game. But um, they are still, for the most part, a team which a lot of people think will still go on to um, eclipse even the likes of Derby County and others as among the worst teams to play in the Premiership. I mean, I don't know why they're making that prediction personally, but Sheffield United um, still aren't out of the woods yet. And when it comes to this um, six-pointer, I think the boys will be motivated. And... um, you know, the Newcastle game as well, you said it, this could be a good time to play them. 
because they're they're in a sort of um, an odd situation right now where they feel as though um, they are capable of producing some magnificent performances, but they've also started to, you know, stutter and stammer a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, you know, when you have the uh, PSG um, results um, being followed by two unfortunate defeats to Borussia Dortmund home and away, um, you know, may I don't know if it's necessarily to, um, given them a knock to their confidence and self-belief. Also, let's not forget that the reverse against Liverpool, where Liverpool were down to 10 men, could have been nine, and Newcastle were ahead only to end up having their pockets picked by the uh, Robin Hood figure of Darwin Nunes. Um, you know, in as much as they'd like to think that um, they turned the corner, that particular game will still be at the back of their minds. And they didn't really offer very much against us. We offered nothing against them either. And I suppose they deserve credit for being opportunistic with that goal and they deserve to win the game. But um, they're evolving as a team and they're getting used to the prospect of playing in the Premiership and in Europe and trying to balance everything very much um, in the same way that Unai Emery's Aston Villa are doing right now. And speaking of them, they will be kicking off against RZ Alkmaar at Villa Park in the next uh, seven or eight minutes or so that should be an easy win given that they uh you know melted the uh, cheese boys on their home turf uh, yeah. last time around <laughs> and uh yeah so both emery and Howe are still trying to um sort of grapple with that um prospect of um the teams uh you know playing in the premiership and in europe and although emery's had experience of that um, Aston Villa haven't had that for a long time. Newcastle haven't had that for a long time. So you could say that they're evolving and trying to find themselves and really, you know, maintain their confidence. And as much as losing Tonali is a blow, Gimaraes going is also a bit of a blow for them as well. Although I'm sure that Joe Willett can come in and definitely do a fine job. Losing Dan Byrne means that they will have to reshuffle their defence a little bit. Whether they give Dummett a chance or uh, Lewis Hall or shift um, Tribute to the right and bring Livermento in, as I said, how will keep Iriola guessing? So I'd like to think that... Um, you know how there's a saying that the, bit, the best thing about hitting rock bottom is that the only way you can go is up? You hit your rock bottom last season when you lost to um, Liverpool 9-0 in Anfield. And, yeah. and obviously with um, Scott Parker being sacked, you know that you knew that the only way you could go was up. And Gary took you up and kept you up. And uh, I think Iriola now realizes, and the players do realize, that um, that really should be the last time they allow themselves to lose that badly. And Iriola now has to be um, brave enough to... Um, pick a formation which um, he sees sees working and which he knows will work and stick to that, defensive and uh, midfield. Because you can't um, hope to try and, uh, you know, go um, get a good run of results if you don't have a consistent team, although injuries are, you know, um, they can't be legislated for. And I feel for Alex Scott, I feel for Tyler Adams and also yeah. for Neto. Yes, his form wasn't the best, but um, I think the, it was the injury which ended up seeing him sidelined in favor of uh, Radu. And uh, Bournemouth do have some problems, but this um, Newcastle game could be the test for them. And in theory, I would definitely like to see him get the Sheffield United game and secure the win. Although I just wonder if... Uh, if you beat Sheffield United, will that just be um, delaying the inevitable? And that's another question that can be asked. Mm. Um, and, and now to Richard Hughes. We've got our own Richard Hughes in the form of Edu Gaspar, former yeah. um, Invincible, of course. And 
I would say that um, when it comes to his legacy as a player at Arsenal, he has no real legacy to speak of. He was more of a bit part player in the double winning season of 2002 and in our uh, um, success in 2004 when we won the uh, um, Invincible title and also the 2003 FA Cup in between. Um, he never really contributed that much. And him, of course, um, being... Um, in that Richard Hughes style capacity at Arsenal, um, it elicits um, a lot of divided loyal um, reactions from the fan base, not loyalties, but reactions. People are willing to blame him for our continued um, failures, especially in the transfer market. And there has to come a time when he has to finally be made to answer for his own um, issues. Now, it was Foley who actually made the decision to um, sack um, Gary and bring Andoni in. Yeah. And uh, there's no real way that he can suddenly go back on that without giving um, Iriola a good run in very much the same way that Graham Potter was given a long run at uh, Chelsea before eventually it was decided, uh, I mean, it was Bowley who decided that um, Potter had to go. Uh, I don't think Foley is going to be that desperate to make that decision, having, you know, thrown in his uh, chips with Iriola. And I do understand a lot of the fans who were saying, you, we have to give this time. There's no way that um, we can just, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. We have to, you know, let it let things take their course and allow Iriola to try to stamp his mark. And injuries haven't helped him. But then, of course, um, in as much as you can't legislate for injuries, you also can't allow um, the injuries to sort of impede your own ability to make the most of what you have right now. We, we're dealing with some injuries right now. We fielded more or less our first team against Sevilla, and we were lucky that um, we didn't have too many injuries, although the sight of Bukayo Saka limping off um, with a problem with his um, calf or his shin or whatever, it wasn't a good look. And I do worry about that poor boy. And um, it's unfortunate, but as you said, it is a results business. So I think in my, in my heart, Iriola will be given a little bit more time. He will certainly be given until the Sheffield United game to try and uh, get things together. And I back Bournemouth to beat Sheffield United, no, no doubt about it. I just think that, uh, I mean, Sheffield, of course, they huff and they puff and they provide a lot of grit and determination. But um, I think now the Bournemouth players realise that um, they can't allow um, their own carelessness to keep costing them games and points. Maybe this no. will be the start of them turning the corner. Definitely. And I think, you know, I think Foley, if he is behind, you know, Richard Hughes potentially leaving the club, it's all rumours at the moment until it all comes out. Richard Hughes has done a good job throughout the years and balancing the books. Of course, when he was relegated and selling Nathan Ake and Callum Wilson for decent amounts of money which has helped us jump back into the Premier League but you know I think Richard Hughes has suggested to Bill Foley Iriola's name and maybe if it is a Bill Foley decision he's holding them accountable to that and like any place of work people will be made accountable for their errors so I can understand what Bill Foley is doing here, if if that is what is happening. Um, but at the same time, if he feels that Iriola is an error, 
and we should have kept with Gary O'Neill and he shouldn't have listened to Richard Hughes. How long does Iriola have? I think, you know, he has to be given due to, if this is the outcome with regards to Richard Hughes, he has to be given to the Sheffield United game. If he doesn't get any points on the board after that Sheffield United game, then Foley is going to have to put that error correct himself. And what he does after that, he's not a footballing man. You know, he's a clever businessman, but he's not a footballing man. He takes a lot of advice. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, I think we've probably covered pretty much everything for this week. Um, So, of course, you know, we have got Newcastle this weekend. Who have the Gunners got, Manny? Well, ironically, we've got Burnley, who you beat 2-1. I certainly don't see them, you know, trying to, uh, you know, take out their frustrations on us. But um, we have no excuses now for not turning up. And the biggest fear that I have is that given our injuries, um, especially to our strike force or what happened out and whoever have you, we're pretty much down to our bare bones when it comes to the bench. So it could very well be that we end up uh, picking the same team which started against um, Sevilla on Wednesday. And um, all we can do is hope and pray that um, they come out in one piece. But um, given how well Leandro Trossard played as a false nine, I can safely say that if I never ever see Edward and Ketia playing up front for Arsenal again, it will be too soon. And uh, that is um, hopefully how it will go. Um, I still do not rate Kai Havertz. I still do not like um, the way he's being shoehorned into the team to try and justify the amount of dosh that was spent on him. Jorginho is plodding away, and he is capable of a few moments of magic, but let's be honest, I think his best days are long gone. Declan Rice is proving that he is a shrewd buy, but then when you're purchased for over 100 million, Bob, you know you have to keep proving yourself practically in every game. Otherwise, people are going to ask a lot of questions. And um, Takahiro Tomiyasu is better at left-back than Alexander Zinchenko, although we never should have gotten rid of Kieran Tierney. David Raya isn't really too much of an improvement on Aaron Ramsdale, but for what it's worth, we are keeping clean sheets. I just worry, though, that um, because Ramsdale was doing the same thing last season before completely imploding, that the same thing might happen with Raya. Neither of those two um, guys are fit to lace the boots of Emmy Martinez, who will, of course, be who is, of course, playing right now as we speak against um, RZ Alkmaar. So, um, yeah, we've got our problems, too. And um, at least we can. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to compare myself to um, you boys, Craig, because um, thankfully, heaven forbid, we are not in a relegation battle at least not yet under Arteta, although we very nearly were in his first full season with us, um, we still, um, you know, um, are not completely out of the woods when it comes to making sure that we um, get the results we want and the, uh, uh, the success we want as of yet. Still time, though. Still time. No, fair enough. I'm sure you'll be fine, Manny. But let's round it up there. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Remember to hit the like, subscribe, bell button, Follow us on the TalkSport Network and also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, wherever you want to listen to us. But until the next one, up the cherries. We'll see you soon.
paydays are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.